Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. Uh, if you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectors.net. Give us a call, 208-991-4783, and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Well, this episode of the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio is brought to you by the financial support of our listeners. Thank you all so much for your support. Uh, today's episode of Sherlock Holmes is called The Case of Sudden Senility. Uh, we'll go ahead and we'll take a listen. From New York, the makers of Clipper Craft Clothes for Men and 1036 leading retail stores from coast to coast present the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes. Our stories are based upon the character of Sherlock Holmes, created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Sherlock Holmes is portrayed by John Stanley, Dr. Watson by Alfred Shirley, and the dramatizations are by Edith Miser. Well, here we are once again, settled comfortably in front of Dr. Watson's cheerful fireplace. Outside, the winter wind wails like, like, well, let's see, what does the wind sound like tonight, Dr. Watson? A lost soul or a baffled banshee? What would you say? To me, Mr. Harris, that wind sounds rather like Bast, the ancient Egyptian cat goddess, sometimes called Eubastis. She howls, they say, if anyone disturbs the graves of those who have consecrated themselves to her. Oh, come now, Dr. Watson. You don't believe that sort of nonsense, well, do you? Well, I'm not so sure, Mr. Harris. I'm not so sure. One violent autumn night, as Holmes and I crossed the windswept moors that surround King's Highland, we heard such a cry. A strange, harsh ululation that struck a chill to our marrow bones. And... Oh, but good heavens. There I go again, forgetting my manners. After all, you have something rather important to say, I believe, Mr. Harris. Well, I generally have, Dr. Watson. And speaking of wind and chill, there's nothing like a Clippercraft overcoat to keep them out, you know. <laughs> right. Pity Holmes and I weren't wearing a Clippercraft that night on Dartmoor Heath. Now, Dr. Watson, this is my part of the entertainment. Oh, sorry, old man. Proceed. Thank you. There are now 1,036 fine stores across the nation that sell Clippercraft clothes. That's a tribute to the efficiency of the Clippercraft plan. And that's a tribute also to the tremendous demand that an alert American public has built for Clippercraft. In the Clippercraft plan, you see, these 1,036 stores concentrate their buying power, effecting tremendous savings the year round in manufacturing and distribution costs. These savings are all yours, and it's a mighty nice thing to be able to outfit yourself with value so exceptional at your own local independent store, where you get real service and friendly personal attention. Clippercraft suits are only forty and forty-five dollars. Clippercraft top coats and overcoats only forty dollars, and sport jackets only twenty-six fifty. Seeing is believing. To convince yourself beyond a shadow of a doubt 
Simply compare Clippercraft with clothes selling for many dollars more. And now to return to that icy wind on the moors, Dr. Watson. Well, as a matter of fact, Mr. Harris, that's not where this adventure had its inception. It was a brisk fall day rather early in the century. After a good deal of argument, I had persuaded Holmes to accompany me on a constitutional through Kensington Gardens. As our listeners doubtless know, Holmes was never a man who took exercise if he could avoid it. Lethargic sort of fellow, eh, Dr. Watson? Well, not necessarily. Needless to say, when we returned to Baker Street somewhere around five, I was the one who was puffing like a grampus, while Holmes bounded up the steps as easily as a greyhound. We were met at the front door by Mrs. Hudson, the chatelaine and general factotum of our bachelor domain. Ah, Mrs. Hudson, what's up? It's way past your tea time, Mr. Holmes. Oh, to places with tea, madam. Give us an early supper. What's more, a gentleman was here. Waited upstairs half an hour, he did. Stamping up and down on my ceiling till I thought the chandelier would come loose. Hmm. Sounds like a client, eh, Watson? Well, we could do with a case, Holmes. The exchequer is getting a bit low. Bother the exchequer. Oh, for heaven's sake, Holmes. Relax. We're home, you know. He said he'd be back. If it's a case, see that he pays. Looks like he had money. Yes, yes, Mrs. Hudson's correct. Our late visitor undoubtedly had money. Pity he got away. But uh, what makes you think the blighter was affluent? Can't you smell it? He smoked the very best tobacco. Aha, uh-huh. the matter he came to consult us about must have been urgent. He's left his pipe here on the table. A nice briar with a longish stem of what the tobacconists fondly call amber. Yes, he must have been thoroughly disturbed to leave behind a pipe he values so highly. Oh, ball and dash, how can you possibly know how he values his silly pipe? Elementary, my dear Watson, elementary. The pipe has been twice mended, once in the wooden stem and once in the amber, each time with a silver band costing more than the pipe did originally. What's more, he's been here before because, having run out of his own mixture, he's helped himself to a pipeful from the Persian slipper on the mantelpiece. No casual stranger would know that's where I keep my tobacco. Oh, but here's his step on the stairs. Come in, come in. Confounded man, why don't you stay at home where you belong? Holmes, it's Colonel Ross. Obviously, my dear Watson. Oh, uh, bring our visitor a chair and a, a slight sedative of some sort, say a brandy and soda. I don't need a brandy. Yes, I do confound it, a double brandy. Well, don't tell me you've had another disaster on the moors at King's Pylon. We have that, Mr. Holmes, but this time it's not a man that's been murdered. It's a horse. Worse. Much worse. Uh, let me tell you, there aren't many men the equal of Blazing Star. Good Lord! Blazing Star! Isn't that your entry for the Wessex Cup, sir? It was, Dr. Watson, it was. Aha, uh-huh. Blazing Star. Watson was reading me an item about it just the other day. I believe he's the son of the famous Silver Blaze out of Lady Luck. Uh, you were able to rescue his sire for me, Mr. Holmes. It's time to win the Wessex Cup. What a race that was, eh, Holmes? But it's too late to do anything for poor Blazing Star. But by the Lord Harry, I mean to catch up with the scoundrel that killed her. And when I do... I've I... always contended there's a special reservation in the last hell for any man who mistreats animals. Yes, quite. But tell me exactly what happened at King's Pylon, Colonel Ross. Uh, you remember Ned Hunter, Mr. Holmes? He was in charge of the stable at the time Silver Blaze was abducted. Yes, fine fellow, reliable and trustworthy. He's been promoted to the post of trainer since you last saw him, but he still sleeps in the stable, doesn't trust anyone else to do it. Blazing Star, like his sire before him, was the favorite for the Wessex Cup, I believe. Well, that's right, Mr. Holmes. So Ned was being extra particular. None of the stable boys were allowed to go near the horse. Ned groomed and exercised him himself. 
No one else laid a hand on the animal. Can't take too many precautions with a winner, eh, Holmes? Don't interrupt, Watson. Well, uh, yesterday afternoon I went down to the stables myself to watch Blazing Star work out. <laughs> I wish you could have seen him. The sunshine glinting on his chestnut coat. Like a fiery streak he was coming down the stretch. Never went better in his life. Well, I went into supper and uh, cleared a place off the mantel. The same place we kept the Wessex Cup when Silver Blaze won it. Then I went to bed and slept the sleep of the just. But along about two o'clock in the morning, I was awakened by Ned Hunter. As I lit the lamp, I could see his face, white as a sheet. And his hand shook as though he had the palsy. Ned! Ned, what's up? What's the matter, man? It's the star, sir. He's took bad. We'd better go for the vet. Good Lord. What happened? He seemed in great shape this afternoon. I can't explain it, sir. Unless it was that cat upset him. You know how he always hated cats. Oh, what cat? We don't keep any cats. Oh, a black cat it was, sir. Can't say I've ever seen it before. But when I was taking in his bunch of carrots I always gives him before I tucks him in for the night, a black cat comes out of nowhere and slips into the store between my legs. Good Lord. Well, sir, you know how the star is about cats. He started stamping and whinnying like he was possessed. <laughs> She's killed. Oh, easy, Star. Yeah, easy, boy. Easy, boy, now. Easy, Star. Did you see that cat? Come out of here like a bat out of hell. Always blazing like the devil himself. Uh, hello, hello. She's like the star on the flank. She's drawn blood. Easy, boy. Easy. Hey, Timmy, bring the ointment. The star's hurt. Mr. Holmes, Ned Hunter, swabbed down the scratch and tried to quiet the horse, but Star was restless. Long about midnight, Ned noticed his breathing was getting heavy and labored, and he worked up quite a sweat. Ned rubbed him down again, but he kept getting worse instead of better, so I went for the vet. He's a new man in the district and supposed to know all there is to know about animals. When I brought him back with me, Ned looked like he'd seen a ghost. This is Mr. Peebles, the new veterinary surgeon. He'll bring Star around for us. I'm afraid the Star's past help, sir. I've never seen the like. Just seemed to collapse in front of my eyes. His back sort of sagged and his knees gave way. Pretty soon he, he couldn't stand up no more. He's, he's lying in there on the straw, pretty near gone. You'd, uh, you'd better take Mr. Peebles right in, Ned. Yes, sir. This way, sir. Found it. If anything happens to that horse, he was so fit this afternoon. Lord, it's quiet around here. If I could just hear the old boy breathing. Three o'clock. Where do you suppose that blasted cat came from? Ah, oh, rubbish. No one dies from a cat scratch. I've had any cats around here for years. Certainly not any black cats. Well... Mr. Peebles, how is he? What's the verdict? I'm sorry, Colonel Ross. He's gone, sir. Died very quietly. Of old age. You say the vet pronounced Blazing Star dead of old age, Colonel Ross? But that's impossible, Holmes. The Wessex Cup is a race for five-year-olds. Exactly. Blazing Star was five-year-old last month. Yet when I went in to look at his body as it lay there in his stall, 
I'd have sworn he was the oldest horse I'd ever seen. Temples caved in, coat dry and grayish, hip bones protruding. You don't think anyone could have switched horses while Ned Hunter came to inform you the horse was taken sick? No, Mr. Holmes, I'd no blazing star anywhere. The star on the forehead he'd inherited from his father. The white off forefoot and a long scar on his left hind leg where he'd cut himself on a bit of wire when he was a two-year-old. That horse was star, full five years ago last month. He couldn't have died of old age. Fantastic and macabre story, eh, Holmes? Mm, quite. Many people, of course, will profit by his death. Have there been any strangers in the neighborhood of King's Pylon these last few weeks, Colonel Ross? Uh, uh, there has been a band of wandering gypsies camping on the moors. Of course. Gypsies have many curious and little-known poisons. They'd be quite apt to keep a black cat, what's more. If its claws had been dipped in some obscure venom... That... Possibly, Watson. Possibly. Tell me, Colonel Ross, what's become of your erstwhile neighbor and rival, Lord Backwater, who owned the Mapleton stables? That blackguard! Haven't seen him since the affair of Silver Blaze. He was ruled off the turf after that, you know, and forced to sell his horses. Serves him jolly well right. Mapleton has been unoccupied until recently. About a month ago, I understand it was leased to a professor, an Egyptologist, I believe. He's a recluse. Spends most of his time in a laboratory, fixed up for himself in the old study. Maddie Baxter, our maid's sister, keeps house for him. Says he's a, a queer sort of a chap. Works behind locked doors all night and sleeps all day. Unhealthy sort of life, eh, Holmes? Yes, there are several factors around King's Pylon that don't sound healthy to me. Colonel Ross, I suggest that Watson and I take the morning train for Exeter to investigate the situation. I hoped you'd say that, Mr. Holmes. I've told Ned not to dispose of Starr's body until you arrive. Splendid. I, uh, I suppose you want me to take my revolver, eh, Holmes? Your revolver and that little black satchel that contained your medical kit. This, unless I'm very much mistaken, is a case in which we should be prepared for anything. Well, Watson, now that you've finished a thorough examination of the cadaver, what's your verdict? The vet was right, Holmes. The horse obviously died of old age. But I tell you, that's impossible. Blazing Star was only a little over five years old. Ned here will bear me out. That's right, gentlemen. Horse doesn't die of old age at five years. Well, looks like Blazing Star ain't going to be the only one, neither. Good Lord. Don't tell me another one of the horses has caught the malady. It's not one of the horses, sir. It's the sheep. Huh? I noticed it when I went out to the paddock after you left this morning. They stood there all huddled together, shivering. Then gradually, all day long, they kept getting older and older. You could fair see them do it. Their eyes are roomy, and their voice is weak, and, oh, some of them can hardly keep on their feet. But those sheep were young. Most of them were dropped in this year's lambing season. Uh, what do you make of it, Dr. Watson? Have you ever heard of old age being contagious? No, there have been isolated cases, Colonel Ross, where young and healthy individuals have developed a wasting way that rather resembled the appearance of age. However, I'd hardly think it possible... Hold on, to... who's this running across the moors in the sunset? Looks like a woman, her hair flying loose, her shawl flapping in the wind. And she's staggering as if she were drunk. It's Matty, Colonel Ross, her that works over at Mapleton. She's not suffering from the effects of alcohol. It's fright that's upset her. It's sheer terror. Colonel Ross, Colonel Ross, will you take me in this night? I'm never going back. I'm never going back to that house again. I knew he was evil the minute I laid eyes on the man, and now I've seen him. He's a butcher, he is. He's a ghoul. Who is Matty? My master. Him of the least Mapleton. He's filled the house full of heathen statues. The lower part man and the upper part beast. Those would be the statues of the ancient Egyptian gods. Ra, the hawk, Anubis, the dog, and Bast, the cat, I fancy. Bast, that's what he calls her. The black cat that rides everywhere with him on his shoulder. 
Their eyes are alike, him and the cat's both green, and they both can look at you without even blinking. Only his head moves from side to side while he stares at you. What's that? I said his head. It don't never hold still. He's a ghoul, that's what he is. They've been bringing in boxes for weeks now. Six boxes, big like coffins. A lorry drives up in the dead of night and they carry the box into his study and he locks the door behind it. That's the last anyone ever seen of them boxes or what's in them. You've never seen any traces when you go in to clean the study? I've never been allowed in, sir. No one's ever been allowed in that study except the man what brings the boxes and then only for a minute while he puts them down. Today, the men come with another big box. Only they brought it before it was dark. The master fell in a rage when he saw him drive up. When they brought the box in and set it down in the study, he was that worked up, there were flecks of foam on his lips. You idiots. How often have I told you not to come here by daylight? Have a heart, Governor. The sun's about down and there's a storm are coming up. Me and me partner have a long way to drive back to town. We don't like to be caught in the moors in a storm at night. Oh, you don't? Well, this is the last time you need come here. People who work for me obey my orders. Aye, but Governor... Here's your pay. Now, get out. We'll be going. Never fear. He needn't have done that. Oh, he's a terror when he gets in one of his rages. Oh, there. You work here. Aye, I'm the housemaid. I know what it is he's got in them boxes we bring him. Haven't a notion. That room's always kept locked. He never so much as looked through keyhole. Oh, I'd never do that. It's not right. Maybe not. But I bet it'd be interesting. Aye. Come along there, Chris, or we'll be caught on the moors out of dark. Aye. He's lit the lamp in there. It shows through the keyhole. He's taken the lid off the box. I can hear the nails squeak. I would sort of like to know what's in it. One peek wouldn't hurt, I guess. Hello. There's another box inside of the first one. It's got a painted face and hands... Now he's taking that lid off, too. There's something lying inside. It's got a face, too. And hands. It's a woman. She's dead. It's a woman's body. Great Scott. A woman's body. Then the man is a ghoul, a body snatcher. Worse? Unless I'm very much mistaken, he's much worse, Colonel Ross. As for the body, I imagine it's been dead a long, long time. Yes, I think Watson and I will take a stroll over to Mapleton later this evening. I'd like to take a look at the contents of that box myself. What a night to go stalking about the Moors, Holmes. I'm soaked to the skin. Yes, the equinoctial rains seem to be especially vigorous this year, Watson. Mm, Vigorous, I can hardly say... Good Lord, what was that? That, I imagine, is a member of the feline or cat family. Sounds half wild, eh, Holmes? It's unusual for a cat to be out in this weather. Seems to be getting closer. Angle the lantern over here. Yes, there it is, in that tree to the left. Good Lord, its eyes shine like fire. Maybe she's caught up there and can't get down. Here, pussy. Nice kitty. Watson, for the love of heaven, don't get near that cat. Why not? Because... One scratch from her claws, 
And you would decline and die of old age. You! Professor Moriarty! <laughs> you look surprised to see me, Dr. Watson. I heard you were expected at King's Pile and Holmes. And when that stupid serving girl ran screaming out of my house this evening, I rather expected it wouldn't be long before you came over to Mapleton to pay your respects to the Princess Hatshepnut. Princess Hatshepnut? So that's who you have in your latest mummy case, Moriarty? Yes, in the most perfect state of preservation. But of absolutely no use to me, unfortunately. Why not? She was still slender when she died. The artisans who embalmed her didn't need to age the body to prepare it for burial. Age the body? Have you ever seen a fat mummy, Dr. Watson? Come to think of it, can't say I have. In ancient Egypt, it took upward of 70 days to prepare the body of a mummy. Rare gums, resins, and spices were used. And if the deceased was fat, a fluid was injected which aged and shriveled the body after death. And it's your theory, no doubt, Moriarty, that that same fluid extracted from those mummies would, if injected into human beings, produce premature old age and death. Uh, so far, Mr. Holmes, I have only experimented with animals. But I believe the process has been sufficiently perfected so that I may now indulge in a few human experiments. How fortunate that you and Dr. Watson should have decided to drop in this evening. Holmes, let's get out of here. <laughs> Not so fast, Dr. Watson. My servant, Akbar, has had you covered for some time. He's an expert shot, I promise you. Bluff. Pure bluff. Can't see a soul. Akbar is rather dark. He doesn't show up very well at night, but to prove to you he is present, I shall have him destroy the cat up there. No, no, don't bother. But it's no trouble at all. We came out here for that purpose. Unfortunately, yesterday I spilled some of the liquid I'm experimenting with, and the cat walked in it. It's no longer safe to have it at large. You saw the results when she scratched Colonel Ross's horse last night. You see, I don't want to kill people. I shall be satisfied just to make them senile. Are you blackguard? <laughs> Don't excite yourself, Dr. Watson. Akbar, the cat. <laughs> Such a pity. I was rather fond of the beast. Now, gentlemen, if you will accompany me. When you're in your favorite clothing store these winter days and hear someone say, how do they do it? He's probably trying on a Clippercraft suit or overcoat. Because in this era of higher prices, it's really startling to see so much truly fine quality in clothes for such a modest amount. For Clippercraft suits are only $40 and $45. Clippercraft top coats are only $40. And sport jackets are only $26.50. The fabrics are really long wearing. Style and fit is superb. Because Clippercraft clothes are expertly designed. Now, you may ask how all this is possible. Well, the answer is real manufacturing genius and a plan. The famous Clippercraft plan concentrates the buying power of 1036 of the nation's finest stores from coast to coast. Thus, you get the amazing advantages of the group buying at your own local independent store, at the store you can trust. Selling expensive clothes at inexpensive low prices at the nation's finest independent stores is the great big idea behind the Clippercraft plan. That's why men who know insist on Clippercraft clothes. So be sure to visit the Clippercraft store in your city. These leading stores in the metropolitan area are proud to add their names to Clippercraft in your suit, top coat, and overcoat. In Manhattan, Saks 34th, Broadway at 34th, 
John Wanamaker Men's Stores, Broadway at 8th and 67 Liberty Street. In Brooklyn, Abraham and Strauss. In Newark, New Jersey, Boulevard Men's Shop, Kresge, Newark. And in Jamaica, the B&B Clothes Shop, 16408 Jamaica Avenue. And now to return to Dr. Watson and Sherlock Holmes. We find them in Moriarty's laboratory. Sorry I'm forced to have Akbar tie your hands to the back of your chairs, gentlemen. Akbar, if you will remove Dr. Watson's revolver from his right-hand pocket. That's it. No, 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 you needn't take his satchel off his knees. I know how lost a doctor feels without his little black bag. Very generous of you, Moriarty. Not at all. That will be all, Akbar. You may leave the room and lock the door. And now for the lady Hatshepnot. She's in the mummy case here. I thought you might enjoy the sight of a charming female while I give you the injection that will uh, deprive you of your youth and vigor. Now look here, you... Don't argue, uh, Watson. Is that by any chance, Professor Moriarty, the mummy case in which the princess Hatshepnot was entombed? I believe so. She was removed from the tombs of the royal mummies at Dar el-Bahari. By those famous grave robbers, the brothers Abdel Rasul whose exploits finally led the British archaeologist to the left bank of the Nile opposite Karnak. But how clever of you, Mr. Holmes, to be so well informed on Egyptian mummies. Holmes knows everything. Or didn't you know? Uh, Watson, on the other hand, while no mental mastodon, has hidden possibilities. Uh, did you know, Professor, he once played rugby for Blackheath? Fascinating. I, um... I gather from the fact that the mummy case has the hands carved in relief that it dates from the 7th Theban dynasty. You are absolutely correct, Mr. Holmes. Wait, I will raise the lid and permit you to see the lady herself. Good Lord. She looks as if she had died yesterday. Yes, Dr. Watson. The mummies of Memphis are black, dry, and brittle. But those of Thebes are yellowish, flexible... And so elastic that the flesh yields to the touch, and the limbs may be moved. So, without breaking. Yes, it's remarkable. I should have liked to be present when they discovered the tomb at Dar el-Bahari. Imagine, Watson, there were 36 mummies, uh, 20 of them kings and queens. Suppose we dispense with any further lectures on antiquity, Mr. Holmes. I think the substance I have here in this little glass vial may prove even more fascinating. How? This is the liquid I've distilled from five previous mummies. The ones who have been, uh, shall we say, aged. One small scratch with a pin dipped in this fluid should, if my calculations are correct, turn you both into old men. What would be the uh, object of that, may I ask? In the first place, it would render you no longer able to interrupt my activities. And in the second place, if my experiment is successful... I flatter myself I can change the course of history. Interesting. Think what would happen if I were to make certain men senile. The Kaiser, for instance, and that new American president, uh, Roosevelt, Mr. Theodore Roosevelt. And there's a man over in France, Monsieur Clemenceau, and a young man right here in England. His name is Winston Churchill. I think history might be quite different if he suddenly became old and feeble-minded. Let me see. My tie pin should do very nicely. Yes, a very interesting hypothesis, Professor Moriarty, but um, that file is so small, I... Is that all the fluid you have? It will suffice, Mr. Holmes. I shall prick only the key men. Now then, I'll dip in the pin. So, and... Holmes, duck! Come 
found you. You've broken the fire. <laughs> Bravo, Watson. A perfectly placed dropkick. I wondered if it would occur to you to use your little black bag for a football. Well, that was a narrow squeak, Dr. Watson. It was indeed, Mr. Harris. But even then, you were still tied to those chairs. Just how did you and Sherlock Holmes get away from the professor, Doctor? Oh, at that point, Mr. Harris, Colonel Ross and Ned Hunter broke in and rescued us. We'd left them on the moors with instructions to come in and get us if we didn't return in half an hour. Why did you think Holmes became so chatty about Egyptian history? You don't mean he was stalling. What do you think, Mr. Harris? What do you think? Well, what could I think, Doctor? And now, Dr. Watson, how about giving us a hint about next week's story? Hmm. Yes, next week I think I shall tell the case of the lucky shilling. In it, Holmes prevented the death of a certain reckless young nobleman and acquired the money to pay for a much-needed operation. It was done with the not-too-honest racetrack device which Holmes called the trick of the lucky shilling. of Clippercraft Clothes and 1036 leading stores from coast to coast have brought you another in the new series of broadcasts featuring the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes is produced and directed by Basil Lochran with special music by Albert Berman. If you don't know your Clippercraft dealer, Write Clippercraft, 200 Fifth Avenue, New York City. Be sure to listen next week to Sherlock Holmes in the case of the lucky shilling. If you'd like to attend the Sherlock Holmes broadcasts in New York, see your local Clippercraft dealer. He'll tell you how to obtain your tickets. Welcome back. Well, a little bit of more spooky episode and a bit more sinister uh, role for uh, Professor Moriarty. And Watson uh, ends up uh, saving the day. Uh, the writers in this series don't give him a whole lot of opportunities to shine, but uh, here a rugby move saves the day. It was a nice touch to use that. Um, it wasn't referred much to in the uh, canon of stories. And this is the first time I, uh, I heard one of the writers uh, bring it out. So I thought it was a nice touch. There's actually a real Blackheath uh, rugby club. Um, and it was actually started in 1858. And is the oldest rugby club on the planet. At least among the open rugby clubs. But we turn to listener comments and we begin with one from the UK. Andy emails in to say, I enjoy listening to your Sherlock Holmes. Uh, whilst I do my job as a gardener in the UK, you ask your listeners what their favorite episode was and mine is the Blue Carbuncle. 
I'm not sure if you played this one recently, but it'd be nice if you did, and also, as we are coming up on Christmas, it'd be a fitting episode to be broadcast, as it is said, at Christmas time. I, I saw the uh, Jeremy Brett version of that. It is definitely a, a good story. We won't have it on at Christmas time this year, but uh, because they didn't uh, broadcast that in the first season of the John Stanley Sherlock Holmes episodes. However, we should have it for you in Christmas uh, next year. And now we have a few listener comments from Podcast Alley. Um, what a treat Murder Clinic was. From out of the blue, a new title, one I had never even heard of, combined with the occasional video. Uh, this is one intensive, interesting, and ever-changing podcast. Thanks. Well, thank you. And uh, another one just said, good shows. And uh, finally... Uh, best podcast out there listen or be a fool <laughs> all right well thank you so much for all your comments and your enthusiasm we will be back tomorrow with yours truly johnny dollar and on thursday uh, next week we're going to turn back the clock a bit and play the christmas episode of sherlock holmes uh, next week and then their new year's episode the week after that in the meanwhile, send your comments, box13 at greatdetectors.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectors and give us a call, 208-991-4783. But from Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.